Well, good morning. And I want to welcome those who are joining us on Facebook Live and let you know if you have any prayer needs that we can sh- pray for you throughout the course of the week, you can just email them to uh, our email address. It's really easy here. Uh, Hope, I mean, church office, pretty easy to remember, church office at Hope Chapel Sterling, name of the church, town we're in, dot org. So church office at hopechapelsterling.org. And, um, you know, I came across a story uh, that I thought just really connected well, at least in my mind, about the subject matter that we're going to deal with today, which is loving one another. You know, we're in this series entitled Relationships, and we're trying to figure out how to minimize the mess and maximize the benefit, right? And this is a couple of dynamics. And so I came across this story this week, and some of you know me well enough to know that, that you know, I'm, I'm a football fan, so first thing that was about football just kind of drew my attention, right? But this is back in the days when Bear Bryant was the head football coach at the University of Alabama. And um, he had an assistant coach on his staff by the name of Gene Stallings. And it was in that time period that the University of Alabama had their very first chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes that began to function at the University of Alabama. And so, and the first football coach to get engaged with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes was Gene Stallings from the staff. So he started going, and more and more football players started going, and before you know it, the FCA had had a tremendous impact on the football program. So it was right around in that time that Gene Stallings left the staff, and he went over to the, tech, the University of to the Texas A&M, and he became their head football coach. And so just before the season was to begin, all the fall practices were over, the season was ready, ready to begin, Bear Bryant calls up Gene Stallings. He says, you have ruined my football team. He said, all these kids, they're going to FCA, and they all love each other, and, and they're just, they just won't get nasty with one another. They really won't hit one another. We're, just get, we're not getting anything physical done in practice. He says, you have ruined my football team. And that was the end of the conversation. So, and they, they really didn't talk. And then at the end of the season, Bear Bryant calls them back. And Alabama had, had a very successful season. And Bear Bryant calls them back, and he says, you know, Gene, he says, I think... The FCA is the best thing that's ever happened to Alabama football. He said, our players care about each other so much. They play for one another. They pick each other up. They encourage each other. He said, man, it's the best thing that's ever happened to our football program. The worst thing and the best thing at the exact same thing. And, and the reason I think about that, the command we're going to look at today, I think has that same duality. Not the worst and the best, but the easiest and the hardest. The easiest thing that God asks us to do is to love one another as Christ has loved us. The hardest thing that God asks us to do is to love one another as God has loved us. If we can can capitalize on the easiness, we'll maximize the benefit of our relationships. If we can minimize the hardness, we we can minimize the mess in our relationships. And so I want to look at this subject matter today. And again, I want to keep this in the context that relationships are the major vehicle that God wants to use to pour his blessings into our lives. I think one of the largest components of you and I experiencing the abundant life that Christ came to offer is through having great relationships. 
You know, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. And, and he wants that life to be, that abundant life is, is in many ways marked by and characterized by and has as its center a life full of great relationships, a great relationship with the Father, a great relationship with, with life's mission, and a great relationship with other people. God wants us to experience great relationships And it is one of the primary ways by which he wants us to experience his abundant life. So, first of all, I want to look at the command and then make a couple couple comments about this easier and harder thing. And then I want to start picking apart some of the specific instruction that God gives us about how to love one another in a way that minimizes the mess and maximizes the benefit, right? Anybody ever had a problem in their relationship? Ever have a fight? You know, and so, I mean, so we got some stuff to work on, right? So anyways, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 13 with me. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I, I want to root us in the command. And then I want to take us over to where Paul is at as he begins to unpack what does it mean for you and I to love others the way that Christ has loved us, how it is that you and I can maximize the benefit and minimize the mess. Now, we're going to look at just... John chapter 13, this is page 915 in your pew Bibles. We're going to look at just verses 34 and 35. It's not the greatest way, obviously, to handle the scriptures at times. So let me give a little context, because we're not looking at the overall thing. Jesus, this is the last night of Jesus' life. John, John's still got eight chapters to go, but this is the last night of Jesus' life. They've already celebrated the Passover meal. They've already had communion, which we're going to experience later in our service. The very first Lord's Supper. Judas has already been dismissed to go do the deed of betraying Jesus. And Jesus has just got the 11 guys left in the upper room. And, and the very first words out of his mouth start with the idea of, guys, this is goodbye. You know, you look at verse 33. Children, I'm with you just a little while longer. You'll look for me, but just as I told the Jews, you're not going to be able to find me. Guys, this is goodbye. Now he's got their attention. And then he says, you know what? But I want to give you one last marching order before I go. This is a command. I want you to get this right. Right? I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So as Jesus issues this, I believe it's, it's, it's designed, one, to, to be a guide for us on how to experience the abundant life now. It's also designed to be a guide by which the kingdom is going to expand. Because it's by the way that we love one another that the world's going to know that we are his disciples, that we follow after Christ. And there's probably a critique that could be made about the Christian church in the 21st century in the Western world is that our love for one another is not near radical enough. It's just way too ordinary and typical. It's not radical enough. So we're going to see if we can't do something about that today. So why is it so easy? And one of the things I tell you is that this this is the destiny to love other people as Christ has loved you. It is the destiny that God has for every single one of us. When God worked in human history and called you into faith in Jesus Christ and you became a new child of God. It was God's plan for you. It is God's plan for you. It is your destiny to love other people as Christ has loved us. 
I mean, we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, right? We looked at this last week, and I'll just give you the references. It's in your outline, you know, um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It says, you know, in obedience to the truth, having purified your hearts for sincere love of the brethren, love one another from the heart. What, what Peter is saying there, he says, you know, this idea of obeying the truth means that's the moment that you heard the gospel and you said yes. When the Spirit drew you into personal faith in Jesus Christ. He said, when you became a Christian, here's what happened to you. God got inside of your heart. He broke out the tools. He made some changes, turned into a new creature. And that new heart is designed to love other people. It's purified your heart for sincere love of the brethren. That, that's, that's what you were made for, right? And, and he says, therefore, go ahead and just love people. Love people. Love people, right? You know? And, and then John picks up on it in his letter. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, many of us know this. He said, you know what? Those people who know God, they love people. The people who don't love God, don't know God, they don't love people. If you don't love, you don't know God. If you know God, then you definitely love. So here's the thing. When you and I became a believer in Jesus Christ, God's destiny for us was for you and I to love other people. Let me give you an illustration. I could give you a lot of different illustrations here, but let me give you the one that's most powerful to me. We, we haven't mentioned this yet, but Bethany DeTolo, our children's director, had her baby this past week. Little, little Elijah, nine pounds, two ounces. And I think we concluded he was born on Thursday morning. All right, at 3.45 a.m. So, little Elijah. So, just imagine when Randy picks up a little Elijah for the very first time, right? And he looks at Elijah, and you think Randy's thinking to himself, I wonder if I'm going to be able to love this kid. Do you think that's what he's thinking? You know, <laughs> you got you to really watch the questions you ask, right? You know, so, of course not. Already there's this love that's just flowing out, right? I mean, it, it, the bond is already there. There's any question about when. That's exactly what happens when God transforms our heart through our faith in Jesus Christ. It, it is wired to love other people. So why, it's our destiny. So why is it so hard? Well, a couple things. The standard's pretty high, right? And as I think I put in your notes, it's the second commandment on steroids, Right? Steroids are supposed to make you perform at a higher level, right? You know, uh, performance-enhancing drugs, right? You know, guys get suspended for that in a lot of our professional leagues and high school and college leagues and all that kind of stuff. This is the second commandment on steroids. What's the second commandment? Jesus is often asked, well, what are, the great, what are the commandments? You know, he says, well, you know, love the Lord your God with all heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's probably a little less challenging than love your neighbor as Jesus loved your neighbor, right? I mean, the first one's hard enough, isn't it? Loving your neighbor as yourself, saying you place as much priority and value on your neighbors as you do on yourself. That's pretty hard to do. <laughs> but, but when you take it out of that corner and say, well, well, let's just notch it up just a little bit higher and say, now I got to love my neighbors the way Jesus loved my neighbors. That's just a little harder to do. And, and, and so not only is the standard a little higher, but the object of our love is not quite perfect yet. Right? Some people are a little harder to love than others, right? You know, 
Why do you think the Lord's Prayer has in it, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? It's because sometimes people can be jerks. You know, my, my wife has been living with me for 33 years, and I, I think the only reason she's doing it is because she wants, she's a, she wants to be a candidate to be a saint, right? You know, just, you can put up with them for a lifetime. You can reach sainthood because my imperfections are all over the place, right? You know, and, and so sometimes one of the reasons why it's hard to love other people as Christ has loved them is because people are people, right? And they can be annoying and disappointing and frustrating and right on down the line, Correct? And so we have this challenge that's easy because this is what we are destined to do by God, yet somehow it can be very difficult to do. And somewhere in the midst of managing the easy and the hardness is where we find a way to experience the abundant life by minimizing the mess and maximizing the benefit in our relationships. So Paul tries to tell us how to do that just a little bit. And so you've you got to love Paul, right? He, taught, he takes a single commandment of Jesus. As I have loved you, love one another. And he can break it down into like 19 points, right? And, and there's two places in the New Testament where he does that in the most crystal clear way. One of them is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you know it as the love chapter, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, it's the kind of thing you see hanging over the toilet in your bathroom, right? You know, people put it up there. This is the nice, you know, the little, the little wall ornaments that people put up, right? You know, those kinds of ideas. Uh, um, you know, um, the other is in Romans chapter 12. And this is our focal passage for this series. And some of you last week accepted the challenge. You still have time, too, to, to memorize verses 9 through 18 of Romans chapter 12. Page 966 in your pew Bible. If you're watching with us on Facebook Live, you can, you'll have to just find it on your phone or, on, or find a Bible around you, or you can just listen as I read it to you. Paul tries to, to, to give us some idea of how to break that into some specifics, some stages, some ways to maximize the benefit and minimize the mess. And i gotta, got to tell you, this is a very difficult passage to outline. Because in, in verses 9 through 21, Paul gives us 10 commands. Right? It's like you on a Saturday morning when you're going out and you've got your high school kid at home saying, here's all the things I want you to do before I get back. Right? It's just all kinds of lists, right? You know, and, and, so he's, and then on top of that, he's got... 13 injunctions on top of his 10 things. So not only do I want you to do this, but this is the way I want you to do that, right? So there's all these other kinds of things. That, so it's very hard to outline, which is great for me because then I can just pick it apart and use it the way I want to, so, which is what we're going to do this morning. But just listen to these. Some of you are memorizing these, and, you know, um, I'm, I'm struggling because I've memorized some of this passage in the New American Standard Version, you know, which instead of reading love mustn't be without hypocrisy, detest evil. Mine is, the, what I learned was, um, says love must be sincere. Abhor what's evil. Cling to what is good. Now I'm trying to re- memorize it in the Holman Christian Standard. I think what we're going to get is Neil's Revised Standard Version. I'm just going to come up with my own, my own way of sta- stating this stuff. But just listen to these verses. Love must be without hypocrisy. Not love should be, love might be, or it's really good if it's, but love must be without hypocrisy. Detest. Just let it churn your stomach. Detest. 
evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what's honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, again, what I learned was, you know, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, don't avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me and I will repay, says the Lord. But, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. That's a mandate for the church and for us as God's people. Not to be conquered by evil, but to conquer evil with good. And part of the way that happens is that we have to detest evil and cling to what is good, which is where he started. Um, I, I want to give you just a, a, a few... I don't know how it is for you guys, but how can you really tell you love people the way you're supposed to? Right? I mean, we live in a world that love comes in all shapes and sizes, right? You know, we, 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 you know, we love our pets. We love our kids and our families. We love our faded old pair of jeans that we can put on on Saturdays. You know, we, we love um, black raspberry chocolate chip ice cream, which that's what I love. Pistachio is a close second, but really push comes to shove. It's black raspberry with chocolate chips. So just in case you're taking notes and want to know what to do for Pastor Appreciation Month, black raspberry with chocolate chip. So that is so shameless, is it not? Oh, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> so, oh, oh, I probably should get a lecture from the elders or something about that after this one. How can you tell? There's a lot of ways to go through this passage and pull out some things, but you know, I, when I thought about this, when, when you go to take the pulse of how you're loving other people, what do you should really look for? And, and the first one I'm going to give you is, um, is the idea of sincerity, or the, the word here that Paul uses in our translation this morning, the Holman Christian Standard, is meaning with his out, without hypocrisy. The words that underline there were kind of used in a couple different directions. You know, one of the words is, um, is the word um, sincerity. And actually, the original meaning of that word meant without wax. So what? How, how do you go from without wax to sincerity, right? And, and really, the dilemma was that when you went to the marketplace to buy a piece of pottery, you could get there and 
Sometimes in the firing process, the kiln process, where they dried it all out, the, the pots would develop small cracks in them. Didn't mean they weren't functional. They just didn't look as good. So what they would do is they would take melted wax and they would fill in the crack and then they would paint over everything. And when you picked it up and looked at it, it looked flawless. But actually you were buying something that was not perfect. But it had been made to look perfect, right? Playing a part. I, I drove into a, I went down, I was looking for, to buy a used car and I drove into this small used car dealer. So I pulled in and I noticed the garage doors were open in this place, and, and uh, as I got out of my car and I was looking around for somebody to help me, I noticed this guy, he backed the car a little bit out of the, uh, one of the bays, and he got out, and he came around, and he took his hand, and he just kind of wiped the side of the car a little bit, and then he started spray painting over the rust. You know, I'm thinking, I'm getting back in my car, and I'm getting out of here, right? You know, because they, they, they don't want you to really know what you're buying, right? And, and this idea with, without wax meant that when you picked it up, the potter was guaranteeing to you that this had no flaws that had been masked over. It was perfect. So that's the way you're supposed to love. The word hypocrisy actually had more of its roots in, in the theater. It's when you wore a mask. When you were playing a part in a play, you wore a mask and you held it over your face. He says, you know what? When you come to love, don't be wearing a mask. Don't be trying to fill in the cracks and present it as though it's perfect. He says it needs to be genuine. It needs to be real. It needs to be sincere and without hypocrisy. And some of that is rooted in the content of that love. And that means there, there, it, the, the only way that we can love sincerely, the only way that love really wins, which is one of those nice phrases we have these days, right, is that you have to detest what is evil. And you have to cling to what is good. And, and, if, and if we haven't figured it out yet as a church, what, what the sovereignty of God means is that God gets to decide what's good and, and what's evil. You know, we think, well, sovereignty refers to God's omnipotent. God can, it's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. No, that, that's, that's what omnipotent means. Sovereignty means that God created the game. God creates the definition of the rules of the game, and God's the one who determines the outcome of the game, the destination, what does it mean to succeed. God gets to define what's right. God gets to define what's wrong. That's what the sovereignty of God means. And if we're going to love people sincerely from the heart, we have to embrace that which is good from God, and we have to detest what is evil in God's eyes. And... and but there's some terms that really just leap out to me as I look at this through this passage. Is we're looking at this idea of, of, um, of sincerity and being without hypocrisy, right? You know, um, one of the words that comes out here is, is and look at, look at uh, verse 10. Show family affection. Show, that's outward, demonstrated, right? An action, right? Not just something I feel, keep to myself, but something we demonstrate, we show family affection to one another with brotherly love. There, there needs to be some passion. There needs to be some energy. There needs to be some, some, some emotion that's connected in loving one another. It's not just some, something we're going through the moves. Yeah, you know what I mean. Some, you know, I can remember raising our boys, right? And you're at somebody's house and they get a cookie, right? And then you say to them, well, what do you say? Thank you. You think they really mean it? Right? You know, or, or, you, or, or 
the one you like even better, right? You know, they get in a fight with somebody, they do something or whatever, or they pray. So you say, okay, what do you say? I'm sorry. And they don't mean it, right? They're like, the only reason I'm saying this is because you're making me, and I don't want to get in more trouble than I'm already in, right? You know, when he says, when you're doing this, it, 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 you, you need to not only just look like you're playing a part, but it needs to be real. It needs to be genuine, right? You know, and, and there needs to be heart, energy, passion in it, connection in it, you know, devotion, you know, kind of idea. I told the first service that, you know, one of my, one of my love languages is gift giving, right? And I got to tell you, one of the things I hate is that when we get into those moments where, you know, my wife would say, well, why don't we just get each other this for our anniversary? And I'm like, you know, let, what, you know what? The upstairs bathroom needs a new toilet. Let's just give each other a new toilet for our anniversary. And I'm like, you know, it's just, it's no fun. You know, it's bad, you know it's, I, I hate joint gifts, right? You know, just, but that, because that, my love language, some of you are saying, yeah, that'd be great. You know, I can check that off the list. I don't have to think about it. It's perfect, you know. It's, but w- there needs to be a sense of devotion, a realness, an energy, a genuineness, of authenticity to it. There needs to be some passion, some urgency to it. You know, and it, you, when, I, when I, I look down next, and, and, and it's this idea of honoring one another. Look at the latter part of verse 10. I, I love this phrase, outdo one another in showing honor. Do you know that this is one of the times in the Bible where it's okay to be competitive? So you look around and say, you know what, he's doing this and he's doing, I want to outdo them and show an honor. You know, I, I, I try to think, what, is, what would this look like, right? And so yesterday we had a women's breakfast here, right? And my understanding of the way to set up, we had a couple tables sitting over here where all the food was. Can you imagine they line up for the food and they're all saying, no, no, you go first. No, no, you go first. No, you go first. You know, an hour later, they're still saying, no, you go first. You go first. You know, because they want to defer this kind of thing, give an honor to other people. And, and, and it's, it's that idea of valuing people above and et cetera. And verse 16 brings it out even, even more. It says, you know, try to be in agreement with one another. Don't be a problem, but instead associate with the lonely, right? with, the, with the lowly, that kind of idea of connecting. And this idea of, of being devoted to one another in brotherly love, you know? This kind of, it, it, when we apply that to the idea of honoring other people, it means that we look for what connects us, not what divides us. We, we look at what we have in common, and we build on it out of respect, not what makes us different. i got to tell you, one of the most frustrating conversations I ever had here at Hope Chapel, I was talking to an individual who just said, you know, there, there's... There's just really nobody for us to relate to, nobody for me to relate to at Hope Chapel. You know, and, and this was one of these, so we had just had a men's breakfast. I said, you know, you could have come and joined us, you could have met some guys, that kind of thing. I said, well, you know what, all those guys, all they, all they talk about is sports. He says, and I don't really like sports. I'm into some other stuff. And, and, and so, you know, he's looking and said, this is, but when you have a heart that honors, what you look at and say, you know what, first of all, they're all men. I'm a man. A lot of those guys are married. They're husbands. I'm a husband. A lot of those guys are fathers. I'm a father. Some of those guys are business owners. I'm a business owner. You're looking for the things that... That's what it means to honor somebody else. What is it about them that draws you to them, not what drives you away from them? That's what it means to honor somebody else. So let me ask you, how many of you have two feet? Guess what? you got something in common. 
How many of you got ten fingers? Well, eight fingers and two thumbs. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's lots that draws us together, but we want to, oh, you know, they don't do this. They're too old for me. They're too young for me. You know, this, this, and that. I got nine kids. They got no kids. We got nothing in common. That is baloney. That is anathema. God says, honor one another. And not only that, try to outdo each other in honoring one another. Find what binds you together and connects you. And put some urgency about it underneath it. Don't be, don't be, do not lack diligence, but be fervent. You know, we should never be in one of those moments to say, you know what, I meant to get to that, but I just didn't. I meant to get to that, I just, I just did, I just didn't, right? You know, that kind of idea. It just kind of goes on and on. There needs to be urgency. If it's going to be sincere, if it's going to be without hypocrisy, it has to be this thing where there's, it's genuine. We feel it. It's a part of us. There's energy. There's passion. It's what, it drives us to honor, to connect, to relate to, to build with other people. Even though they may seem to be very differently than us. They may be lowly, as it says here. And with that, we are diligent in it. We actually put feet to our feelings and we make something happen. I better get going here. So let me go through the rest of these, rest of these points. Sincerity. Second way that you and I maximize the benefit, minimize the mess. And I'm going to pull out here verse 13. Share with the saints in need. Share with the saints in their need. This is the idea of generosity. Part of the way that you and I love like Jesus loves, the way we love one another, the way that Jesus loves us, is that we are prepared to give. We are prepared to share. We are prepared to be generous with other people. We're going to celebrate in just a few minutes the reminder that Jesus asked us to use about the way that he gave himself for us. We call that the Lord's Supper. You know, and God calls upon us to be people who are ready to share, to be generous with those who are in need. And we, we looked at some of this stuff back in Genesis, in, in Proverbs this past summer, you know, where, where part of God's expectation to uh, us as we work out our finances in our own lives is to say, you know what, I'm not going to spend that on me. I'm going to hold it so I can give it to somebody else when the time is right. That's what God expects us to do. And this was a huge issue in the early church. You know, the, the, the city of Rome, probably 30 to 40% of their population, if not more, were slaves. They had no legal right to be able to make any money at all. And many of those people were responding to the gospel. Many of the citizens of Rome had no way to, go to, to make a, an income. There were so many people and so few jobs, they literally just lived on on city welfare, if you will. And that's why the emperors kept feeling all these urgencies to put on these big games and keep everybody appeased and make their lives look better than they were because they had no way to control. There was need. And Paul says, you know what? You need to be ready to share with those who are in need. And, and there needs to be the same. And it is, it is one of the key elements that keeps us from focusing on loving ourselves and figuring out how to love others is to be in a position with a heart to give. You know, the, the, the three big isms that are going to kill the the, the faith in, a, in, the, in America are egotism, it's about me, materialism, and eroticism. And we looked at that in our Sex by the Good Book series, right? We're gonna, it's, it's my body, I'll do with it the way I want, that kind of stuff. But smack dab in the middle is materialism. Life is about stuff. And one of the greatest gifts that God has given us to stamp down materialism in our lives is to say, you know what? 
you are your brother's keeper. Make sure you're ready to help out when the time comes. And then do it. Generosity. And if, you, if we don't look back through the tapes of our lives and, and have the anticipation in our future, then I don't know if we really are going to be able to love others as Christ loved us. One more point, and then I'll, I'll just tack on the last one. Hospitality. Look what he says at the latter part there of verse 13. He says, share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality, right? Now, again, hospitality was a foundational element of the Christian mission. You know, they didn't have Motel 6s that left the light on, right? Most of, the, most of the inns that were out there were really brothels. They were like bars, right? So you went and you got drunk and you... You know, you, 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 that kind of thing. And you just stayed. That's what, that's what they were. So when missionaries traveled, when Christians traveled, that was not the environment that they wanted to be in, nor was it the environment they could stay in. So where'd they go? They went to the church, and the people in the church put them up. They practiced hospitality. Now, I, I, I don't know. We still struggle with hospitality in our own world, right? Because hospitality in our world has to be, you know, it has to be something that's this, this big production, right? You know, some of you are saying, you know what? No more guests between now and Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is going to be enough work, right? You know what? If you want to invite me for Thanksgiving and serve me hot dogs, that's okay. You know, I mean, I've said before in our service, you know, if, if, if you're interested in getting together and in, in inviting Christina and I over to, for, for lunch after church on a Sunday and you want to serve us cornflakes, it's okay. You know, it does, you know, it does not have to be this big, huge thing. If you want to serve us lobster, I'll eat it. But you don't have to do that. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I've told this story before. You know, one of the nights that when, when Warren and Erica Hardy started coming, they invited us over for, for lunch a, a few weeks into it. They just wanted to get to know us, and we went to have lunch. And we did made-your-own-sandwiches. And I'm thinking to myself, yes. Because some of us, we make entertaining. We make being hospitable such a production that we never want to do it. And then we wonder why we don't have loving relationships with other people. I know what the back of their head looks like, but I really don't know much about their life. But it's more than that. Hospitality in the biblical sense is reaching out and associating and bringing into the family the unwelcomed. Let that sink in for a minute. Hospitality, in a Christ-like way, is about bringing in the unwelcomed. Think about that for just a minute. Think about a couple of these stories. Just before the account that we read in in John chapter 13, Jesus had made his way to Jerusalem, and he went via Jericho. And as he came into the city of Jericho, on his way up to Jerusalem for the very last time, a big, huge crowd gathered. Well, there was a guy in the crowd who was vertically challenged. He's short. And nobody liked him. He wasn't welcomed. So nobody let him make his way to the front so he could see, even though they could see over him. So he ran down the road and he climbed up in a tree, a sycamore tree to be specific. His name was Zacchaeus. Remember that story in Luke chapter 19? And Jesus is walking through, and he sees the guy who's not welcomed in the tree. And he says, you know what, Nick, get get down, Zacchaeus. Get down. I'm going to go eat with you today. I'm going to associate with you. Another powerful story, Luke chapter 4. You know, Jesus is earlier in his ministry, and he's been invited to a dinner at a Pharisee's house. This is supposed to be a big deal to Jesus, right? The, The religious elite are giving you a chance, an untrained rabbi, to have some connection. And Jesus goes to this dinner. And while they're at the dinner, 
this, the, the, the public part of the house, this woman slips in. And, she, and they, the way they did, they kind of lied on one elbow and kind of ain't with the other. And his, your feet kind of stuck away from the table. And, and this woman sneaks in. And she starts crying on Jesus' feet. She starts wiping the tears from his feet along with the dust with her hair. And then she takes out probably the only possession that she has that has any value in it, this, this jar of, of perfume, and she begins to pour it on Jesus' feet. And the Pharisees, they're all whispering to one another, because, you know, saying, you know, if this guy was a prophet, he'd know that that woman's not welcomed. And it's not supposed to be welcomed here. She's a prostitute. She's an outsider. She's a sinner. She's not welcome here. So Jesus told a little story. He said, hey, let me ask you a question. Two guys, you know, one guy had two debtors. You know, one guy owed $5, the other guy owed $500. And he said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to erase your accounts. Which guy do you think would be happier? Guy who owed 500 than the guy who was, you know, he said, you know what, I came here, and, and, and you didn't honor me in any way, shape, or form. Common courtesy was that you were provided a way for me to wash my feet. That didn't happen. Common courtesy is you provide a little oil for the head because it's a part of kind of going into a festive dinner. You didn't do that. You see this woman? She's, she's, not, she's, she's, she's not stopped doing any of those things since she got here. And so Jesus said, you know what? He looked at the woman and he says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. What he's saying, you know what? You're welcome with me. That's Christ-like hospitality. When you and I are looking out to the margins of Hope Chapel, to the margins of our community, and we're inviting in the unwelcomed, the ones who don't feel like they really fit, and we're helping them connect and associate. That's what it means to love like Jesus. That's what was happening in the church at Rome. I've got one last phrase for you, because I know some of you are just going to die if you can't fill in your... Uh, your uh, th- some of you got some Sheldon in you, right, from uh, the Big Bang Theory. You're like, oh, we've got to fill it in. The last word is graciousness. Graciousness. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we're, we're out of time. Let me just read a couple of phrases here for you, right? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. As much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Backs up a little earlier. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless. Don't curse. Bless. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And from that, be in agreement with one another. One of the greatest ways that you and I maximize the benefit and minimize the mess in our relationships is just by being gracious. Not returning curse for curse, but blessing instead. Truly rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. You know, like, uh, this is the way I've defined graciousness for myself. Because sometimes you have to have tough conversations with people, agreed? Family members, other kinds of things, colleagues, employees, etc., right? The, The thing that stands out for me is when the focus is on how I said it instead of what I said, I'm probably not being gracious. Let that sink in for a minute. If the focus is on how I said it, or instead of what I said, then I'm probably not being gracious. Or the same kind of idea, if the focus is on, on 
how I did it instead of what I did, it's probably because I wasn't being gracious. And, and, and what a wonderful lens to turn around and use in our own journey. Now listen, Jesus gave his life so that you and I can have great relationships. Jesus gave his life so that you and I can love other people the way he did. And with that, have great relationships and have abundant life. And he says, you know what? I don't want you to ever forget that. So you know what? On a regular basis when you get together, I want you to remember how I've loved you. And that's what we do in communion. I'm going to invite those who are going to serve to go ahead and make their way to the back. And I think the stage is going to populate with our worship team here in just a minute. And we're going to sing today through our... through our observance of the Lord's Supper. Jesus painted a picture of the greatest way he was going to love us, which is giving his life for us. And he created that picture with the elements of the bread and the cup. And he tells us about it in Matthew chapter 26, which says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it. And he gave it out to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray for just a moment. God, thank you for the way Jesus loved us. Thank you for the outcome of Jesus' love for us that we get to be new creatures, your children, people who are capable of loving one another like Jesus did. God, we pray that you would call us to remember today. And with that, embrace your challenge afresh to love one another as Jesus has loved us. As we pray in his name, amen.